Good morning again. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Actually, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, uh, we're actually going to begin reading in verse 27, back up a little bit from our sermon text. If you don't have a Bible or if you don't own a Bible, there should be uh, some Bibles on the table just outside the door there. Uh, And if you don't own a Bible, you should feel free not only to to snag one for use during the service, but you should take one and keep it, write your name in it, bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Will you pray with me before we read? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your Word, uh, for your truth, which guides us. Uh, We thank you for your grace and your faithfulness that you condescend to care for your children, that you don't abandon us, uh, but that you are intimately involved in every detail of our lives. Um, We thank you for this love which is secure for us in the cross. We thank you for the work of Jesus. Uh, We thank you for the gift of your spirit, and we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us now as we uh, reflect on your word. We pray that you would guide us, guide my words, uh, allow them to be true and faithful to your word. Guide each of us in our hearts, allow us to be open to your word, Uh, soften our hearts that we would receive it, uh, that we would uh, know your grace, rest in Jesus, and that we would live in light of your word day to day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 11, uh, beginning with verse 27 through uh, chapter 12, verse 9. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still 
going toward the Negev. This season tends to be a season of transitions, of moving out of the familiar and into the unknown. High school grads move into the unknown of college. College grads move into the unknown of the workforce. Often parents move into the unknown of being empty nesters as their kids move off to college and the workforce. Of course, every day uh, for every one of us is a moving into the unknown that we don't often think of it like this uh, because as scripture tells us in Proverbs 27.1 and James 4.14, no one knows what a day might bring. Well, in our text, Abraham is called to move out of what is familiar and into the unknown. Hebrews 11 makes this explicit. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, Abraham, as you read through the scriptures, Abraham plays kind of a unique role throughout the history that the Bible tells us. But Abraham is also the father of the faithful. He's a picture of what it means to walk by faith. The uh, New Testament uses him in this way again and again. So Abram's life sets the pattern for discipleship, for walking by faith. And that pattern that, that we see here in Genesis 12 is that God calls Abram out of all that hinders him uh, into intimacy with God himself in order to be a blessing to the nations as he is guided by God's promise. And so that those four things are what we're going to look at this morning. You can see that on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline. Uh, there are four things on that outline. God calls us out, leaving uh, the familiar or leaving what hinders, maybe better. Uh, God calls us to intimacy with the Father. God calls us for blessing to our neighbor. And God leads us by. God's promise as our guide. So first, God calls us out, leaving the familiar. God calls Abraham to go. Look at Genesis 12, verse 1 again. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now Abraham at this point in Genesis 12 is 75 years old. Uh, He's lived his entire life in Ur, uh, most likely worshiping the the moon god, actually. Ur was a center of the moon god cult. And uh, Joshua 24 actually tells us that Israel's fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, served other gods. So when Abram first gets his call from God, he's probably worshiping idols like his neighbors around him. God calls Abram to leave his pagan past and to venture forth where God would lead. And think about the difficulty of this call, right? Leave everything you know, everything that's familiar, leave the comfort of your home, leave the safety of your family, leave the attachment of your parents, and at 75 years of age. Can you imagine God saying to you, right, I want you to leave everything familiar to you, everything comfortable, and move to a new land? That may be a little easier for some of us. Uh, We're a pretty mobile 
country at this time, pretty mobile culture, right? People move around job to job, city to city. Uh, but it's not always as easy as it is today. And of course, if anybody else said to you, hey, I, I want you to move someplace, uh, pick up everything and leave, and I'm not gonna tell you where we're going until we get there, uh, you would think they were nuts. And we think of Abraham as this triumphant man of faith, right? Who, who immediately followed God's promise seemingly without hesitation. But did you ever realize that the first time Abram headed for Canaan, he didn't make it? So if uh, Acts chapter 7 tells us that Abram was called by God while he was still living in Ur, before he lived in Haran, Acts 7-2 says, and uh, look back at chapter 11 in Genesis, chapter 11, verse 31. We're told that Abram's father, Terah, together with the rest of his family, leave together from Ur to Canaan. But when they come to Haran, they settle there. Right? So Abram leaves Ur. He leaves the place God tells him to leave, headed for Canaan, but doesn't actually make it. He stops in Haran, which is really kind of fascinating. Uh, you know, why does Terah leave Ur for Canaan? Um, why do they stop in Haran? What is Abram thinking, right? Why didn't he finish his journey and go all the way as God told him to do? Uh, Haran also, by the way, is a center of the moon god cult. Uh, and so had Abram failed as the man of faith from the start? Had he not cut ties with his father's house and so not cut ties with his father's gods? Was this a compromise between Terah and Abram? Okay, Abram, fine, we'll, we'll go, we'll go, we'll follow your God part of the way, but we're going to stop part of the way for mine. Maybe. Um, but there's another option. Uh, maybe Abram has every intention of leaving his father's house and heading to Canaan, but circumstances hinder him. Uh, many of us know what this is like. It happens to missionaries all the time, but not just missionaries. It happens to graduate students, and it happens to engaged couples, and, and anyone seeking to move on to the next phase of life. You know, you have this sense of God's call on your life. You're, you're itching to move forward. You can't wait for the next step. Uh, maybe you have real clarity in your gifting. You see the need out there. You have this desire uh, to go, but your circumstances hinder you, and you have to wait. It's not necessarily sinful compromise. It's just life. So Abram leaves for Canaan, but whether because of his slowness to leave his father's house or because of circumstances that providentially hinder him, from the start, things don't quite go as planned. And yet Abram does eventually cut ties with his father's house. In fact, there's this interesting uh, little secret in Genesis 11.32. Uh, it seems like a throwaway verse. It says, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Well, bear with me for a minute. Uh, on the surface, uh, chapter 11, verse 26, says that Terah was 70 when he had Abram. Chapter 12, verse 4, says Abram was 75 when he leaves Haran. Uh, now, I know it's early and I'm asking you to do math, but how old was Terah when Abram left Haran? He was 145. Right? If he was born when Terah was 70 and he leaves at 75, his father is 145 when he leaves. Well, how old is Terah when he dies? Verse uh, 32 tells us that Terah was 205 years old when he dies. 
What that means is, all of that math tells us, uh, that Terah is still alive when Abram leaves Haran. So, So Abram eventually does leave his father's house. And our passage ends with Abram still on the move from Ur to Haran to Shechem to Bethel to the Negev. You see, God hasn't just called Abram to move from Florida to Illinois, right? He's called Abram to a life of moving. He's called him to be a pilgrim, to a life of homelessness and exile. Like uh, someone whose father was in the military or a missionary, you know how it is when you ask where they grew up, there's often this awkward silence. Uh, They've moved around, right? They're, they're pilgrims, they're strangers, they're exiles. They have no place that they call home. Abraham was called out of Ur to be a pilgrim, to wander for the rest of his days. God promised to give the promised land to Abram's descendants, but in the meantime, Abram would be an alien and a stranger in his own land. Now, that, that pattern of pilgrimage is, of course, supremely fulfilled as we look through the scriptures in Jesus, who, who leaves his father's house in multiple ways. Uh, he, he leaves heaven to come to earth. Uh, he learns to experience life apart from what is familiar and comfortable. He's like a stranger in his own land. His own people reject him. And then after 30 years of living in his hometown, of a relatively normal life, of working a normal, quiet job in a normal, quiet home in a normal, quiet town. Uh, Jesus leaves again. He, he begins to travel, he, to preach, to gather disciples around him. And in Matthew 8:20, uh, Jesus says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And all the while, of course, Jesus is headed to the cross, where he will be fully separated from his Father, and exiled from life itself. Jesus, in that moment, is giving up the things that he loves, even intimacy with the Father on the cross, in order to obey the Father's call on his life. The question, though, is, as we think about Abram's journey and Jesus' journey, what does it look like for us to live out this aspect of discipleship? I mean, we're not called to leave Ur for Canaan. Uh, We're not called to leave heaven for earth. Uh, We're not all called even to leave our hometowns. Two things are clear from the New Testament about this call on our lives, and that is that we are called to detach ourselves from everything that hinders us, and we are called to live lives of a lifelong pilgrimage. So first, Jesus calls us to detach ourselves from what hinders, to take up our cross and to follow him. In fact, there's an extended version of that in Matthew 10, where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, again, we find this idea of leaving your father's house. The idea here, though, the idea behind leaving your family is this. It's it's not leaving for the sake of leaving. Uh, It's not leaving the familiar for the sake of leaving the familiar. 
Uh, but throughout Scripture, there's this idea, we see it in Deuteronomy 13, that if your family entices you to worship idols, or in Matthew 8, that if your family hinders you from answering Jesus' call to follow, we must stand against them. Jesus is not talking about rebelling against godly parents. Uh, he's not even talking about rebelling against ungodly parents, right? He's talking about leaving those who hindered you from following his call. In fact, Hebrews 12.1 broadens this. Uh, the, the NIV puts it like this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So Jesus calls us even to leave our families if they hinder us from following him. And he follows that up in Matthew 10 with the call to take up our cross. Right? If leaving home, your home of 75 years doesn't sound hard enough, uh, Jesus calls us to take up our cross, to put to death our desires, uh, to die to our old life, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, which is the, the ESV of Hebrews 12.1, and to run with endurance the race set before us. So to detach our hearts from whatever might hinder us from following Jesus. That's, that's the call. Right? Whatever might hinder you. Uh, for many of us, of course, our, our lives are predictable, uh, which isn't bad. That's not sinful. It's not wrong. Uh, we're not all necessarily called to move to Africa or to become missionaries in India or to leave medical school to, to get an MDiv or something like that. Uh, Jesus calls us to leave whatever hinders us from wholeheartedly following him. Uh, whatever love, whatever attachment, whatever friends or family, anything in this life that stops us from wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus, that's what he calls us to leave. And you might do that, of course, without ever leaving home. And so don't miss here, right? The point is not that every little pleasure of life is wrong. The point is not that every familiar relationship is wrong. The point is not that every act of settling down is wrong, right? Don't misunderstand the metaphor. The question is, what in your life is hindering you from wholeheartedly following Jesus? What attachments have trumped your loyalty for Jesus? What things in life have become demands and not mere desires? Uh, what desires for the created world have become to trump your desire for God? But also, God calls us not only to detach ourselves from what hinders, but he also calls us to lives of lifelong pilgrimage. See, if we belong to Christ, the, the scriptures tell us that we are pilgrims and exiles on earth. This world is not our home. Uh, we are looking for a heavenly promised land, a new creation a city with foundations, right? We, we will never be finally home until Jesus returns. As Christians, we must always have our eyes on that home. This world is not your home. You should have a, a holy discontent with this life, knowing that there are better things to come and longing for the world to come. So it's clear, right? God calls uh, Abram to leave, right? He calls Abram to detach himself from whatever might hinder, to become a lifelong pilgrim headed toward uh, the promised land. Uh, but here the question uh, becomes then, well, why did God call Abram to leave? Why is it necessary to leave in this way? And uh, the first answer is that God calls Abram to leave in order to find greater intimacy with God himself. So that brings us to the next point, right? God calls us out, leaving whatever hinders. God calls us to intimacy with the Father. 
Look at verses 6 and 7. Verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country out of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham comes uh, to Canaan. He leaves Ur. He leaves Haran. He comes to Canaan. He comes to the center of Canaan in Shechem, to what was probably already a, a sacred site of some kind, to the oak of Morah. Morah means teacher, uh, probably considered a place to hear from the divine. And Abram comes here, and there God appears to him. The Lord appears to Abram, and he gives him another promise. And Abram responds by building an altar. And altars were uh, those places where God's people give themselves up to their God. Eventually, we're told in verse 8 that Abram calls upon the name of the Lord, which is the Old Testament language for worship. And yet it's more than worship, right? It's, it's language for total dependence. To call upon the name of the Lord is to call upon God for help. It's to call upon God to save you. It's to call upon God for salvation, for strength. So God appears to Abram. Abram responds in worship and independence. See, Abraham leaves his homeland, journeys to Canaan, and as a result, finds greater intimacy with his God in worship, independence. Well, you might wonder, okay, why does Abram have to leave his homeland in order to enter into this greater intimacy with the Father? I mean, God was just as much in Ur as he was in Canaan. Right? Why does Abram have to leave one place and go to another to experience this relationship to his father? Well, a couple of things. One, Abraham had to leave, quite practically, idolatry in order to know intimacy with the true God. Remember, Abram grew up in a pagan home, a home at least that worshipped uh, probably the moon god, that worshipped pagan gods and idols. One uh, old Puritan, interestingly, he talks about talks about the need to divorce sin so that we can be joined to Jesus in marriage, which is kind of an odd metaphor for us, but it's, it's vivid at least, right? There, there's a cutting off of sin so that we can be joined to our Savior. We must cut off ties with our old life in order to find a new one. And of course, by old life, that do doesn't necessarily mean uh, your past, per se. Uh, you may have grown up a Christian all your life. You may have never known a, a day when you didn't know the Lord. Uh, but, but that old man that Scripture talks about it, that is in you is still part of the, the old world. It's not yet characterized by the new creation. And so we must give up our old lives, part of this old world, and begin and to be conformed to the new creation that has come in Jesus. So Abram has to leave his idolatry in order to know intimacy. But Abram also has to leave the pleasures of this life for the superior pleasure of knowing God. See, God had to cut off Abram's present blessings in order to lead him to a greater blessing. Uh, you, you may know there's, a, there's this book on business uh, called Good to Great. Uh, you may have heard of that book or read it. Uh, but in that book, there's this uh, principle that the good is the enemy of the great. And uh, the idea is this, again, generic principle of life, that if things are good, you don't pursue the great. Uh, when you're satisfied with how things are, you don't strive to make things better. Hence, good is the enemy of great. Well, uh, there may be a little something of that in Abram's life. Uh, maybe his life was good in Ur. 
He had his family, uh, the main social structure of the day, and the main security net of the day. He had his land, the main source of wealth in the day. And it would only be by leaving those worldly blessings that Abram would come to know, uh, would come to experience the greater blessing of intimacy with his father. And we have to, to wonder and think about our own lives, right? Are there good things in your life, good things in your life, that distract you from pursuing your father? Right? Are there, are there things in your life, good blessings, that even God-given blessings, but that distract you from pursuing your father? Are there good things you need to maybe set aside, maybe for a time, maybe forever, but set aside so that you can focus on and draw near to your father in heaven? Well, uh, third, why did Abram have to leave his homeland in order to enter into greater intimacy with his father? Abram had to leave all worldly safety and support to know God's care. God had to show Abram his utter weakness and vulnerability so that Abram would learn to walk in dependence and call upon the name of the Lord. And think about it. How often does our competence, does our strength, uh, does our, uh, our, our ability hinder us from intimacy with God? See, if, if you think you are strong, we often live in self-reliance and not independence. Very often, God makes us weak so that he can draw us near. It's when difficulty happens, when, when pain and suffering and challenges and failures happen. Right? These things force us to look outside of ourselves for strength. It's not until Abram was wandering in the unknown that he began to call on the name of the Lord. That's why, that's why coping mechanisms so often hinder us from walking with our Father. Because when difficulty happens, rather than turning to God in our weakness, we learn to cope. Right? We, we learn tricks to get by rather than learning to pray, rather than learning to fall on our knees before our God and cry out to him. It's better to realize our impotence and pursue dependence now right, rather than wait for God to humble you or to take away your safety net and your support system so that you realize how weak you really are. There's one thing we can draw from all of this as we think about those, and it's a, it's a fourth answer to this question of why does Abraham have to leave his homeland in order to enter into greater in intimacy with God. And fourth is that it, it is often the things that most feel like death that lead to life. Um, we must lose our lives in order to find them, Jesus says. That doesn't sound easy. Abram must leave his home and his family in order to find intimacy with his Father in heaven. We often must give up good things in order to know the greater blessing of a relationship to our Father. We often must learn to be weak and powerless in order to know the intimacy of dependence upon our Father. See, we must leave those things which hold us back, whether people or blessings or our own strength or our coping mechanisms, right, in order to learn to worship and delight in and depend on our Father alone. Jesus goes to the cross to suffer and to die for sin so that he might rise to new life, so that he might be raised from the dead and experience resurrection life. It's often those things that most feel like death that lead to life. Discipleship means leaving what hinders in order to find intimacy with the Father 
And yet God's purposes are bigger than us, aren't they? God calls Abraham to leave, but he calls him to leave for the sake of the nations. Right? So God calls us out, you know, leaving what hinders. God calls us to intimacy with our Father. And God calls us for blessing to our neighbors. God wants to bless the nations through Abram. That's God's purpose. Within verses 2 to 3, God, God's promise only intensifies throughout those verses until it culminates in blessing to the nations. Right? God promises to bless Abram, and then he promises to make Abram a blessing, and then he promises to bless those who bless Abram, and then he promises to bless all families of the earth through him. God's not blessing Abram for Abram's sake, but for the sake of the nations, that all peoples would be blessed through him. And so God calls Abram to leave everything that's familiar, everything that's comfortable, everything that's easy, that God might draw Abram closer to himself to the end that the nations would be blessed. Of course, as we turn to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is called the seed of Abram, the, the son of Abraham, the one who brings blessing to the nations. Jesus came to bless the nations. He went to the cross to bless the nations. He, he rose and ascended and sits on the throne to bless the nations. Pours out his spirit to bless the nations. Everything he did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension was to bless the nations. Through faith in Jesus, of course, we, the nations, are counted as, as Abraham's children. And so we receive Abraham's blessings. God called Abram to bless the nations. He sent Jesus to bless the nations. But now Jesus, as you read through the New Testament, Jesus calls us to bless the nations. Jesus commands us to go, to make disciples of all nations. And as with Abraham, we are blessed in order to be a blessing to those around us. Our Christianity is not merely about ourselves. Clearly, this is going to look different for different people. Right? As we think about how God is calling us individually to be a blessing to those around us, Paul says in Galatians to do good to all men. We're called to use our gifts to do good. We're called to use our words to speak of Christ to those around us. We're called to use our deeds to show Christ in the way that we live. Oftentimes, again, this means getting out of our comfort zones or leaving what is familiar and easy and comfortable. Of course, I'm not just talking about going to the mission field. That, that tends to be where our mind goes. Of course, that, that's always a possibility uh, for every one of us. God may be calling some of us in this room to that, to go to unreached places, to proclaim Jesus, to bring blessing, his blessing to the nations. Uh, that's a question that we should each ask. Right? Is God calling me to leave my home, my comfort, my safety net, and move out? I can guarantee, of course, that that will be hard. But I can also guarantee it would mean greater opportunity for intimacy with your father as you learn to depend on him in that situation. But for many of us, we're not, we're not called to physically leave our homeland. We're called to bless our neighbors right here. Um, for some of us, uh, it still might mean leaving what is comfortable, putting to death our love of ease, talking to the stranger next to us. Or be willing uh, to move into hard places in conversations with our co-workers and our friends. Places in conversations where we're not in control. Where you're not sure where the conversation is going to lead. Places that are sometimes a little bit scary. You know, if you're like me, I, I like to think about conversations sort of as I'm going and try to figure out 
how to get to where we need to go in the conversation. And uh, it, it's, it's a way of trying to stay in control, right? Uh, rather than trusting God and just entering in, uh, praying, resting in God's power, his sovereignty, his goodness, his grace, and, and looking for him to work uh, through me, through my words, to glorify himself. Um, or maybe we're called as well to serve our neighbors, uh, to love them, uh, to seek their good, to spend time offering our help, uh, to, to serve, to, to mow the lawns of the widows around us, right? To, to share a meal with the hungry, to listen and weep with a neighbor who is mourning a loss, to rejoice with a coworker who was promoted above us, whatever it might mean. We're called to speak and to serve in our church and in our community. We're called to do that sacrificially, leaving aside what is comfortable and easy. We're called to do that in communion with Jesus, who himself came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so God calls us out to, to leave everything that hinders us in following Jesus. God calls us to intimacy with our Father through Jesus. And God calls us for blessing to our neighbors. The last question we want to ask is, why would Abram go on such a crazy journey? What guided him as he wandered through the promised land? That brings us to the last point, right? God leads us by, right? God's promise as our guide. How many questions Abram must have had as he left? Where am I going? <laughs> What's going to happen when I get there? Where will I end up? How will I get there? Uh, how will I become a nation? How will I become a blessing to the nations? Right? Abraham couldn't answer any of these questions. And for most people, right, this is just poor planning. Come on, Abram, too many unanswered questions, too many variables, too many unknowns. Right? Figure these things out, write it down, make an outline before you leave. Well, Abram didn't have any of those answers. What did he have? He had God's promise. He had God's word. God said, go to the place I will show you. I will bless you and you will become a blessing. It's actually pretty amazing that Abram took those promises to heart. I mean, for all we know, this was the first time Abram heard from God. God had no track record with Abram. Right? No, no history of faithfulness, no Red Sea to look back on, no plagues in Egypt, no conquest of Canaan, no exile to Babylon, no return. Abram couldn't look back on the incarnation or the cross of Christ or the resurrection or the ascension. Abram didn't have 2,000 years of church history to show God's faithfulness, to keep his promises. Abram simply had God's word of promise. And he believed it and he obeyed. And yet we as I just illustrated, right, have so much more, right? We have all of those things that Abram didn't have. We have a God who has proved himself faithful again and again over generations. Most of all, God has proved himself faithful in the resurrection of Jesus, which shows that no matter what difficulties we face, if we belong to Christ, we will know God's faithfulness in the end. And yet life is no less scary for that. There are lots of unknowns. Uh, we, we graduate and move into college or we or grad school or the workforce. 
we have all kinds of questions, right? What should I study? What job should I take? Uh, what city should I live in? What church should I attend? How is God going to use this to draw me closer to himself? How is God going to use me here in this place? Uh, what's the best way for me to serve him? How should I use my gifts and talents? Uh, what is God calling me to leave, to give up, to lay aside so that I can pursue Jesus more fully? We have dozens of questions, and we want answers. We want clarity, and, and sometimes we get it. Sometimes things are clear, but more often than not, I actually think we go out not knowing where we are going, but trusting the promises of God, trusting that he will do what he has said, trusting that he will be faithful, trusting that he will draw us closer to himself, trusting that life comes through death, that difficulty gives birth to character, that in our weakness we experience God's power, that whatever happens in, in this life, a resurrection is coming. And we move out learning dependence, right? learning to worship through the journey, through the trials and the pain, through the mystery and the unknown, not just despite those things, uh, but through them. We learn dependence on our Father. It's as we die to this world on pilgrimage to the next, drawing near to our Father, trusting in his word, that blessing to the nations happens. Not because we figured it all out, not because we have this perfect plan of what we're going to do, but because we trust in God's word and obey it. It's because we believe God's promises and rest in them and walk in light of them. Now, for some of us moving into the unknown, going out not knowing, right, is a real test of our faith. Many of us, myself included, right, try to rely on our knowledge and our planning we feel confident in our abilities, uh, but, but what about when we don't have all the information? Suddenly we're paralyzed. If we can't walk by sight, if we can't walk by our superior planning, then we feel like we can't walk at all. We haven't yet learned to walk by faith. This is what going not knowing uh, means, right? It means walking by faith even when you can't figure it all out, even when you don't have all the details, even when you can't control all the variables, even when we haven't predetermined the outcome. And I wonder, as you think about this, you know, is there a place in your life, even now, where there's this decision you have to make, there's this step you have to take, and you're just paralyzed, not able to move forward, not able to make the decision? There could be lots of reasons for that. I don't want to assume that I know what the reason is, but is it... Is it a lack of faith? Are you not trusting in God's promise? Are you not willing to live by God's promise and go not knowing? Let me encourage you that our God is faithful. That the one who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life if you're joined to Jesus by faith. And you can trust him. That whatever happens, he will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Right? Trust his promises and move forward in faith not knowing what the outcome will be. And yet knowing that God will be faithful, that he will draw you closer to himself, he will use you to bless the nations, and he will fulfill his promises. Let's pray. Our Father, there is so much that we don't know, much more than we realize maybe, much more than we would like to admit. Um, there's so much we don't know about the future. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Father, we pray that we would be able to move forward, not because we figured it out or calculated all the risks, 
pray that we would be able to move forward because we're trusting in your word and trusting in your promises and trusting in our Savior Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.